All right. want to welcome everybody here today, not just Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, those that live stream us, those that listen at later times, those that podcast. However, you are a part of the greater JFC family. We are glad that you are joining in and uh, being a part of what God is doing inside of our church. We begin a brand new series today on the life of Moses. And here's what we titled our series, Moses, Mistakes, and Miracles. Would you agree that Moses saw a lot of miracles, but he made a lot of mistakes? Both of those things happen. I think Moses is probably a very good representation of a lot of believers. Love God, want to see God do great things, and yet we can get into our own flesh. In fact, I think Moses probably represents, in my mind, maybe one of the saddest Uh, of all characters in the Bible and the fact that Moses did so much, put up with so much, went through so much, saw God do so much only to get to the end of his life and then to be disqualified from getting his people into the promised land. And I think that speaks a lot to leadership. I think we need to pay attention to that, that there are things towards the end of our life that can disqualify us from being able to come all the way into the promised land. And in fact, um, something that I would like to let the Lone Tree um, staff No, this isn't for everybody in our church, nor is it for everybody at all of our different staffs. But my pastor, John Stocker, we contacted him. Marcus had a great vision this year. Amy and Marcus, they said, we want to take our staff meeting to the next level. And they said, could we go out and find pastors who have done the ministry for a long period of time and get them to come in and teach our staff. Now, the reason I'm saying this is I'm hoping the other campus pastors hear me right now and would also have vision to think what could my staff meeting look like. But here's what Marcus did. Marcus asked Pastor Stalker if he would come and teach his staff what it takes to finish well. I was at a pastor's meeting recently. Uh, it was really a neat meeting. Pastor Tom Ewing put the thing together. And Tom, Tom will tell you, he is not a guy that, that feels like God has called him to bring pastors together. But he had a vision that the Lord gave him to bring senior pastors together, churches in particular of a thousand or greater. Tom led Charlie Monfort, the owner of the Rockies, to the Lord when they were in junior high school. So Tom contacted Charlie Monfort, said, Charlie, I've got this vision. Would you open up Coors Field if I could get these pastors together? So Tom went through our whole state, got 42 pastors to commit to it. Charlie Monfort opened up his super suite at Coors Field to allow the pastors to do their meeting there uh, at the at the Coors Field. And it was a tremendous time. And then one of the guys that goes to our church is manager of the Hyatt Hotel. And the, the Hyatt guys opened up the opportunity for pastors that came to that from different parts in the state to be able to stay for free overnight. What a blessing. And, and presented that. So I went to that meeting. 42 pastors were there. And um, I met a guy who actually is pastoring the largest church in Colorado. It's up in the Longmont area, LifeBridge Church, for those who are familiar with it. About 14,000, 15,000 people. It's actually the largest church we have in Colorado. He's getting ready to retire. He brought with him his protege that he's turning the church over to. And the way that it worked is you would spend about five minutes at each table. You didn't talk about your church. You talked about yourself. You talked about your marriage. You talked about what was going on in your spiritual life. One of the questions that was asked was this, what's the greatest thing that's happened for you in 2012? 
So this was already 2013, but they were looking back over the past year. And when it came to my turn, I said, I think for me, the greatest thing that happened for me in 2012 was that I was able to lay down my church during a sabbatical. And what that meant was I didn't have to answer my telephone. I was disconnected from my computer. I was disconnected from the telephone uh, as, a, as a regular uh, issue. I was disconnected from having to do all the stuff that went together with the day-to-day church. And the pastor of the largest church in Colorado looked at me and said, bull. <laughs> went over better there than it did right here. As I told you, caught me by surprise. I'll be real honest with you, caught me by surprise. This is an older pastor who said that. And I looked at him and I said, what? And he said, here's the statistic that he gave me. He said, 90% of all pastors don't finish ministry well. He said, I'm writing a book right now with a PhD. And what we're writing in the book is that pastors need to be able to have time in their ministry when they lay down the telephone, lay down the pager, lay down the day-to-day responsibility, lay down all of the stuff that goes with it, get away, renew, and refresh. And he said, you're the only pastor I know who's ever done it. How about that? And did it at under 50 years old. And I thought to myself... Maybe if that guy had learned to do that earlier, he wouldn't be retiring right now. Maybe he wouldn't have to write a book about it. Maybe he could teach on it because he was living it. I don't know. That's a judgment call, I guess, in a way. But I thought how true that is. So here's Marcus. Marcus recognized the need of it and has invited a man who's already retired from the day-to-day pastorate. Pastor Stalker is 60. He's 20 years older than I am, so he's 69. He's almost 70. Uh, He is going to come and teach that staff what it takes to finish well. What an important issue that is, especially when you look at the life of Moses, who, who, would you admit to me, Moses was probably the best leader other than Jesus that we have as an example in the Bible. So let me give you a few facts about Moses that I think are really important, and let me qualify that statement right there. And if you'll find in your notes, I put down a couple of facts about Moses that are true. Number one, Moses is the most revered human figure in Judaism. Now, someone may sit here and go, ah, that's not true. Abraham, Father Abraham, is the most revered figure in Judaism. Abraham is a revered figure, uh, figure, and in many cases, he's the most revered figure. But here's the truth of the matter. Moses is the one who led the children of Israel out of bondage into the promised land. Moses is so highly respected, it would be like this. How do you choose between the right and the left wing of an airplane? That's how they look at Moses and Abraham. Both guys are on equal footing. They're both highly respected. The second thought that I put down about Moses was this. Moses led the biggest church ever. Two million people. Anyone in this church, any campus pastor who is leading whatever number you have, I promise you... The experiences you're having, the problems that go with it, the joy that goes with it, everything that goes with it, multiply it by two million and tell me if you even think you could do it. I think I would resign the moment I found out it was two million people. Could you imagine your email Monday morning pastoring two million people? (laughs) I bet it went, I bet there was no Monday morning. I bet it went every day, constantly. 
What a, what a man. To be able to pastor that many people takes a special, special person. The third point that I put about Moses' life that I thought was important was this. The Bible says that Moses was the meekest man who ever lived on the face of the earth. And a lot of people confuse the word meek with the word weak. We tend to think milk toast, wuss, wimp, no backbone, no ability, a guy who's pushed around. And that is not the definition of meekness. Jesus was meek. How many of you think that Jesus was a milk toast? How many of you think that Jesus let himself be pushed around? How many of you think that Jesus didn't uh, stand up? And do the right thing. I don't think any of us would say that statement right there. Moses was considered to be, other than Christ, the meekest man who ever lived on the face of the earth. Uh, years and years ago, I came up with a definition for meekness that I still live with today. It's one that I shoot for in my life. I pray that every year I become a little more like this, a little more like this. My definition of meekness, all campuses listen to this. My definition of meekness is this. Power under control. So every leader, every father, every mother, every boss, every, every person who has any authority under any circumstance, how many of you would love to grow in having power under control? Here's generally what we ask from God. Give me more power. Give me more authority. Give me more ability. Give, give me more responsibility. Anybody? Here's what we really need to pray. God, when you give that to me, give me a greater capacity to keep it being led by the Holy Spirit so that I don't abuse people with that power. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's not in the Bible. Okay? That's a saying from thousands of years ago, but it is a true saying. Do you agree with that? That people who are given absolute power Generally, it tends to corrupt them morally. What we want is to have power that is under control. When the Holy Spirit works in us, here's what it means to have self-discipline. It means to have power that is under control. It means this. No one else can control you by what they say, what they do, how they act. You're able to keep it under control. That's a good place to say amen, folks. Now, that's a good place to say, that's what I want to have happen in my life. Here, here's, so put the two together. Moses pastored 2 million people, and yet he was power under control. God had told Moses. In fact, Moses, Moses had such power under control. One time, God told Moses, get out of the way. I am going to destroy the people. I wonder how many pastors would have jumped out of the way as quick as they could have and said, get them, God. As opposed to this is what Moses did. Moses went toe-to-toe with God and said, God, take my life instead of their life. That's power under control. That's a leader who gets his responsibility to his people. I love that about Moses. And when I teach on Moses, I love teaching that idea right there. Moses was a tremendous man of character. Last but not least, just a few thoughts about Moses. I put this. Moses lived in three 40-year increments. And I wrote it this way. The first 40 years, he lived for Pharaoh. He did what Pharaoh wanted. He was a member of Pharaoh's court. He rose in stature, in authority, and in ability inside of Pharaoh's court. And Pharaoh blessed Moses. 
Moses rose in popularity. We remember the story that Moses recognized at the end of the first 40 years that he was a Hebrew and that he was the deliverer, or at least he was being told that he was the deliverer. And after he learned that he was a Jew and not an Egyptian, that he was taken from the river Nile and not born into Pharaoh's court. He saw an Egyptian mistreating a Jew. And you remember the story, Moses committed murder. He killed that man and buried him, but it was found quickly. They knew who did it. So Moses fled into the desert. So the first 40 years, Moses lived for Pharaoh. The second 40 years, Moses lived for himself or nobody. And the third 40 years, he lived for God. And I would say that's the idea of finishing well. Wherever you are in life, you want to finish your life living for God. Do you agree with that right there? Okay, we're going to use two places in Exodus, which are two great stories about uh, Moses. This, remember, whenever we do our first message in a series, we want it to be as wide-brimmed as it can possibly be, and then we'll narrow down as we teach into this series. And during this series, you're going to hear from some of our different teaching team. You're going to be blessed by them. I already know what the messages are. You are going to be blown away when you hear the teaching team teach. We have got such good stuff. Our campuses, you are going to love it. It is really good. Today we're going to start with Exodus chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. If you'll find it in your notes, uh, or maybe up behind me, I'll read it. Uh, this is from the New King James Version. reads this way. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. I want you to say that sentence with me. The bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Let me just stop and say this very quickly. One of the things that I think every minister, especially young ministers, need to learn early on is that principle right there. You need to burn with passion, but not burn out. <laughs> One time I had a guy, young guy, probably 18, 19 years old, fresh in the ministry, came and said this to me once we started the church. Oh, pastor, I'm so burnt out. And my response was, you need to catch fire first before you burn out, dude. <laughs> Do something. Don't tell me you're burnt out. Do something first. Now, I laugh about that now, and I joke about that, but the truth of the matter is, listen, we all need to learn that principle. It doesn't matter if you're a mom, a dad, a boss, an employee, whatever it is. Uh, you need to learn, burn with passion for God, but do it in balance so that you don't burn out. Doesn't that make sense? I think that's just a neat thing right there. Let me read on right here. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Let me give you three things very quickly about the first part of the scripture that I think are important. Number one, Moses turned aside to see. The Bible tells us that the bush was on fire. 
The bush was on fire because God had intended to speak to Moses. Here's my question to you. I wonder how many times in our lives God has planned that day to cross paths with us, but we don't pay attention to the sign that God has given us. We don't slow down enough to look to see whether or not God is trying to do something. Have you ever said this? God doesn't speak to me or I'm not hearing his voice or for some reason I'm not running into God. Here's what I think. I think at some point when we get to heaven, God is going to open our eyes and allow us to see all the opportunities he had planned for us to run into him that day. In the Hebrew, the word is pagah. P-A-G-A. It means to cross paths. Here's what I believe. God sets up multiple times every day where he wants us to cross paths with him so that he can talk to us about the situation that we're in. I think that God wants to talk to us about who our future mate is going to be. I think God wants to talk to us about our marriage. I think he wants to talk to us about our ministry. I think he wants to talk to us about what we're doing for our hobbies and our habits and what's going on in different areas of our lives. I think that God wants to speak to us about our children. I think he wants to speak to us about worship. I think he wants to speak to us about going to school. I think the guy wants to speak to us over and over. I think he wants to speak to us about what we counsel people. Do you agree with that? I think he wants to speak to us about where we go in the world. I think he wants to speak to us about what we teach youth. I think he wants to speak to us about what kind of parents we are. I think he wants to speak to us about every different situation. Do you believe that God wants to talk to you? Do you believe that it's God's delight to meet up with you and to share with you his heart on an ongoing basis? Here's what I think. I think that God over and over and over again sets up opportunities. But here's how God works. God does not stand on the corner and yell like the pastor. (laughs) Wouldn't it be wonderful if God did this? Terry, I want to talk to you. Come over here. God, would that make it so simple? (laughs) But you know what God does? God sets up opportunities to see whether or not we're looking for him. And I wonder, I just wonder, when he opens our eyes, how many times in a day he set it up for us to talk to him, but we were too preoccupied with our own stuff. Whether it be that the devil had deceived us and got our mind into all the stuff that's going on. We were mad or upset or going through all the crud that we go through in life. Whether we were just too busy, too tired, too whatever, where we walked by. Look, look, we look at Moses and we think to ourselves, I guarantee if God gave me a burning bush, I would stop. Agreed? Here's the problem. He lived in a desert that was so dry That a fire in the desert, especially for a bush that was tender, dry, without water, catching fire, was not an uncommon issue. It was a normal issue. So we would apply it in 2013 this way. I was walking into the mall and a person held open the door for me. And said, how are you doing today? And rather than say anything other than fine, I just walked right by. Do you get it? Okay, I said last week when I was teaching, or maybe it was the week before, I made this comment. God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. 
We are looking for the miraculous to know that it's God and it doesn't work that way. How about this? People come to us with problems. We pray these prayers. God, I want to be used by you. I want to see the miraculous. I want to see people healed. I want to see marriages put back together. I want to help out. And then somebody comes with a problem. What do we do? We see it as inconvenient. Rather than an opportunity for God to speak to us. Am I just telling the truth right now? Think about it. God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And the problem is we read somebody else's story and we just think if God did it that way, I get it. God doesn't do it that way. He does it in your business. He does it in your family. He does it when your child comes in and says, I've got a question for you, but you're busy. I thought I would have had better uh, with this. I wonder how many times we miss opportunity because we just weren't paying attention. Here's what I think is interesting. The Bible says that he saw the fire. Obviously, this is not something he hasn't seen before. It gives the indication that this is not abnormal But this is what the Bible says. Moses turned aside to see it. Here's what God is looking for. Will you take a moment to turn aside? All God needs is one opportunity. Will you give him an opportunity? The problem is we don't see the opportunity in problems. We don't see them in inconveniences. Listen, this burning bush is an inconvenience. He's taking his sheep to water. Stopping to look at a fire is an inconvenience for a man on a mission. Do you get it? This is the problem with it. It doesn't come, God doesn't send the invitation with a bow and a pretty envelope. You know the kind that you get where you know it's going to be a good invitation. You know the kind. It comes very with calligraphy and the, the paper is nice. You're even thinking there might be a check in here. You check real quick. You know? This is more like... <laughs> this fire is more like one of those uh, 10,000 advertisements you get every day in the mail. Where you look at it and you just chuck it as fast as you get it. You know what I'm saying? It didn't come with an announcement, with a trumpet. with an, There was no angel blowing a trumpet. I'm stressing this because I'm telling you when we're done with this meeting, God has designed your path to cross his path. You must become aware of what that path looks like. And I would say half the time, It comes through a problem. Or an inconvenience. Or a situation we weren't looking for. Prophetically, I'm saying something right now to somebody. When I teach, I know when the Holy Spirit suddenly takes me someplace. I want you to look me in the eyeball. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you are. 
but I know I am telling somebody sitting here right now that it is, it is an inconvenient issue that is coming your way. Not a terrible issue. An inconvenient issue that God is looking to see if you will stop and investigate. You have a chance to have an encounter today. Maybe this is a better way to say it. How many of you are praying for revival encounters? You know what you think? A revival encounter is I'm playing worship or I'm entering worship or I'm preaching a message and the Holy Spirit shows up and I'm slain. And now I had my encounter with God. How many times has it happened in your life? How many times have you been inconvenienced in the last 24 hours? You get it. I think I'm teaching pretty dang good right now. So Here's what's important in that scripture. Moses turned aside to see. When, listen to this. Read the scripture. Look at, look at this. I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. We would normally think this. God would call us first and then we would turn aside. But here's how the kingdom of God works. When we turn aside, God speaks. When you make your prayer life your priority, God speaks. Does that make sense? When we go to Him first, God speaks. There is something that is so pleasing to God when we make Him first priority. When God gets the first part of our day or the first question we ask or the first dollar we make or the first part of our morning or the first and best part of our energy. Do you agree that we have a God who is worthy of the first part? The third thing that I would share with you in the scripture that I think is important, I want to ask you this question I think you know the answer, but maybe there's some people sitting here today that would question it. So let me just throw it this way. What was better, the miracle of the bush that burned and wasn't consumed or the fact that God spoke through that bush? Huh? No brainer, right? I wonder how many people are more impressed with the miraculous than they are with the voice of God. Yeah, wow. I wonder today in America how many people are pursuing a manifestation rather than a conversation. Dan told you what I wanted to say the other day, and that's how I feel right now. It's that good. It's not just like, it's what God told me. How many people are pursuing a manifestation is wonderful, 
But if it doesn't result in a change, it's not worth a flip. A conversation with God always results in a change, doesn't it? Always. It always sticks with us. It always changes us. It always, it, 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 re, it redoes the paradigm. Okay, now if you're sitting there thinking, man, are you against the, the manifestation? No, let's couple both. Let's have a conversation and a manifestation. Let's have God speak to us and then let's have the power of God show up. Let's don't go or, or and, or, let's go and. Let's have the voice of God and power, not the voice of God or power. All right, let's skip to Genesis 4. Now, Genesis 4 is very close in my heart for this reason. When I was called to start this church, God used this scripture. Real quickly, um, I got plenty of time, so I'll tell my story. Uh, my story was that um, I was an associate pastor, northern Colorado. You've all, you, I, I, why, I don't want to be redundant. I was in a really good place. Uh, I was being well taken care of. But my problem was I had become so comfortable that hearing the voice of God was becoming a rarity and I noticed it and I became desperate. So my prayer became, God, please speak to me. And here's what God did. Listen to this. God withheld himself from me in order to see if I would look for him. Sometimes we pray this prayer. God, speak to me because we want the easy, quick way. We live in that microwave fast, give it to me now society. We're all used to it. It's great when God does it that way and God does do it that way. But sometimes here's what God does. Sometimes God says, I want you to pursue me. I want you to chase me. I want you to come find me. And that's the position that I was in. So I began to pray and I began to fast and I began to cry out. And I've told the stories. All I'm hearing is the crickets of heaven. Crick, 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 crick. I don't know if you've ever been there. Laid on my face, and I cried out for God. Wonderful things were happening. My heart was breaking. I wept in front of God. For, here, here was the great thing. Nobody was there to see it, so I wasn't. It, my motivation was, was clarified instantaneously. Nobody was there to see that I was hungry for God. Nobody was there to see that I was pursuing God. You know, when no one's there looking... It clarifies motivations very fast, doesn't it? I'm all by myself pursuing God. And this went on for a long period of time. And finally, in frustration, I got up. And if you remember the story, I was in our prayer room at Resurrection Fellowship. It was upstairs at the time. And I got up, dead silence. Nobody's in the church. I slammed the door on my way out and I yell at God, where are you? Where are you? Why won't you speak to me? Go home. I have dinner. Nothing abnormal happens. Thank God he didn't get mad at me and send a lightning bolt. <laughs> Aren't you glad that you can get upset with God and God is big enough to handle you? Do you know what I mean by that? What's good about that? That means that when we sin, God doesn't Oh, This is freaking me out, man. God is, it's all good. I... I went to bed and I had a dream and the dream just, you know, I'd gone to a conference. In the conference, man was teaching. I don't know who the man was. What was significant is the man was holding a staff. 
And the staff represented his anointing, his authority, what God had given him. And I was so fascinated by his staff. His staff would glow. It was like pure gold that you could see through. It was unbelievable. And I remember saying to myself, I was sitting on the front row with my wife, don't know anybody else, don't know who the speaker was, but I remember saying to myself, i got to get close to that anointing so that when he, he came off the pulpit, there were three steps. He stepped right in front of me. He walked this way right in front of me with that staff. When he would teach, he just carried the staff like this, just, just walking, almost like a walking stick, but it was a staff. And when he turned around, because the staff was on the other side and I couldn't see it, when he passed me, I got up behind him. And he went back up on the platform and I followed him and he turned back around and he stood and I stood in perfect silhouette behind him. I didn't want anybody to see me. I didn't want anybody to notice what I was doing, but I was trying in the dream to lean over and peek at this staff right here. And I remember while I was doing this that it became dead silent and I looked up and everybody was looking at me and I thought, busted. So I looked up at the dude and he was turned around looking at me like, what are you doing? And I go, oh, I am so sorry. I don't know why I did this. <laughs> I am so embarrassed. Please forgive me. And I stepped off the platform and I went back to sit in my seat. And the only difference is as soon as I stepped off, I was holding a staff. I sat down next to my wife and I showed it to her and she was admiring it and I was admiring it. And in dream, you know, dreams have that strange ability where, where time sequences take on different, they're not earthly, are they? The man was just suddenly standing in front of me and without saying anything, he never said anything. He just looked at me and I realized this isn't my staff, it's his staff. And so I said, here, and he said, do you want that? And I said, sir, my whole life, that's what I wanted. And he said, I'll give it to you. You can have it. Only he didn't hand it to me in a nice gentle way. He picks it up and he hits me with it. And they say in a dream, you don't feel anything. I felt like I caught on fire. It woke me up instantly. I knew I had had a spiritual dream. My wife wakes up. I tell her the dream. She goes, what does it mean? I said, I have no idea, but I've got to go find out. I get dressed. I go to the church. I won't take time to tell all the supernatural things that God did. Sometime I'll tell it again. It, somebody asked me one time, why do you think God had to do so many supernatural things in order to get you to do this? Because I would have never let go of where I was unless he did something that supernatural. You don't know how good I had it. My pastor came and said, just stay for a few more years and I'll give everything to you. Everything. And when I say everything, if you don't know, it's no context. It's 80 acres. It's 500,000 square feet of building, debt free. It's a church that's on fire. It's 3,500 people, and I've never pastored before, and they want me to be their pastor. I mean, it's a blessing. It's not a curse. And my friends who are here that know, that know of those times and know what I'm talking about, know I'm not lying right now, am I? Telling straight truth.
I go to the Lord, and the only thing that I remember in the dream that was significant to me was the staff. And I asked the Lord over and over, what is the staff? What is the staff? What is the staff? God doesn't answer here. He makes me search. And the only staff I know in the Bible is Exodus chapter 4. So I flipped to Exodus chapter 4. And verse 1 reads this way. Then Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. So the Lord said to him, what is that that's in your hand? And he said, it's a rod. Some translations say a staff. And God said, cast it on the ground in front of me. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. I want to throw something out to you. Here's why I think Moses fled from it. In that part of the world, cobras are a common snake. They're mean as snakes. How about that for a... If you don't get that, you... They attack you. They're mean, man. One bite and you're done. I think it was a cobra. The Bible says that Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod or a stick in his hand. When I read that, I knew what God said to me. Instantly, if the Holy Spirit's ever talked to you, Have you ever had this experience that in a nanosecond, the Holy Spirit floods your mind with millions of thoughts? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And if you don't, don't feel bad. It's an experience that God wants to have happen for you. What I'm saying is that instead of giving one or two words, instantaneously, I had an entire, I knew what my next 10 years were going to be like. Bob, I knew what 10 years were going to be. I didn't have to go, well, this will satisfy me for the next three months. I knew this was at least 10 years and maybe longer. What was the staff? The staff represented Moses' authority. It represented Moses' calling. It represented Moses' livelihood. It represented a lot of things. As soon as I saw it, I knew what God was telling me. He said, John, that staff represented a calling that I'm giving you. It represents my authority that I'm giving you. This is why I stand up and I tell other pastors. Unless God gives you authority, being called is not enough. Being called is never enough. Authority and calling must be coupled together to move forward against the enemy's kingdom. That is not talking ugly. It is not cutting someone down. It is not taking away from someone. It is telling you the truth about a situation without that authority. You can't go by yourself. What do you do? You come underneath someone who has that authority. And then you're able to do mighty things because of that authority. I operated under my pastor's authority for years. When he had his heart problem and the church did better than it ever did because I got put in that place, here's the truth. It wasn't because I was a good pastor. It was because I came under his authority. God blessed me. And when he came back, God pulled that authority back. It was a funny, funny thing. Are you following me? 
So, like, let, me, let, me, let me hammer on this here real quick. I wrote down three things to know about that scripture. Number one, here it is. We met the, men, the enemy and he is us. What do I mean by that? Moses' first words are probably all of humanity's problems when it comes to faith in God. I'm going to read it one more time. Then Moses answered the Lord. God told Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh that I sent you and I want you to set the people free. And this is what Moses said. Moses answered and said, but suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, the Lord has not appeared to you. Does that sound familiar in you at all? Do you ever have times where that prayer, like in the New Testament, God, I believe, but help my unbelief takes over? That's what this is. This man is having a direct experience with God Almighty. The God I am that I am tells him, go to Pharaoh and set the people free. And he still argues with God. Suppose they don't believe me. And suppose they go, God didn't send you. We have met the enemy and the enemy is us. Let me tell you something. The devil couldn't do any better than what Moses did to himself. Doubt and unbelief is a killer. The devil probably stands back in awe going, I wish I would have thought of that. Do you hear me? That's true in business. If you feel like God called you into business, if God blessed your business, the confession of your mouth should never be, what about if it fails? What about if we don't make it? It should be just the opposite. God called me, how could I fail? What if everything points to the fact that I'm failing? What a chance to operate in faith. Faith isn't faith. Listen to me. If you thank God after... If you say, hey, God, I appreciate everything you did because it worked out, that's gratitude. But when you thank God before it happens, that's faith, fella. That's big. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Let me give you the second thing on the scripture real quick that I think is important. All you need, you have right now. Say that with me. All I need, I have right now. You don't need a better education. You don't need another spouse. You don't need a better car. You don't need another church. You don't need another guitar. You don't need a better drummer. You don't need another camera. You don't need to have another doctor. You don't need another mission trip. You don't need more money. Here's what you need. You need to give what you have to God. I'm going to give you two points that I think are the most miraculous things in the world. Whatever is in your hand, whatever God has given to you, whatever you have authority over, that's what's in your hand. Here's your job. Lay it before the Lord, because as soon as you do, it will be supernatural. But listen to this. If you ever get foolish and pick it back up to use it for yourself, it'll turn back into a stick. And don't ever forget that. I don't care how successful you become in ministry or business or marriage or anything that you do. Here's what happened to you. 
You laid it before God and God blessed it. And if you pick it back up, it will instantaneously lose the supernatural anointing that's on it. You are never, here's the deal. God always gets the glory. You can share the gold, but God gets the glory. You understand what I just said? You can be paid from the good thing that God did. You can make a good living from the fact that God blessed you. But God gets the glory. Don't you ever say this happened because I was special. Don't you ever pick it up and say, look what I was able to do once I was given a chance or once I was put in a position. And if you get your fanny kicked every once in a while, it is to remain humble so you don't pick it up. Anytime we begin to say, look how good I am in the position. It's the mercy of God that keeps your hand from picking it up. Did you just hear me? I just said something to somebody. It's the mercy of God, not the anger of God. Because the moment you pick it up, it's a stick. It's the same one that you came to him with that didn't do anything. Only when you give it to God does it become supernatural. So I tell our people in one of our services, I don't remember, I think it was on Sunday morning. This is what I said. We were talking about the lad who had the five loaves and the two fish. And this is what the disciples confessed. Here, here's big faith. Even with the five loaves and the two fish, there's not enough for everyone to get one bite. Boy, there's, there's big faith. That's huge faith. Jesus doesn't want much, but he wants everything that's in your hand. Here's a good question. Are you willing to give him everything in your hand? Are you? Are you willing to give him your wife? Are you willing to give him your children? Are you willing to give him your wallet? Are you willing to give him relationships? Are you willing to give him offense? Are you willing to give him bitterness? Are you willing to give him a mom or a dad? You willing to give him your church, your car, your motorcycle? I'm trying to find the one. The one for me was a motorcycle one time. Dang, I wanted to hold on to that motorcycle. I came up with 15 reasons why God did not want me to give the motorcycle. Do you know whenever you begin to come up with reasons why you're not supposed to do it, it's proof that you probably should do it. How about this? Are you willing to give your life? Are you willing to give your time? Does anybody hear what I'm saying right now? Are you willing to give your dreams to him? You know the one that you've protected and kept? The one that nobody else knows about except maybe your spouse? The one that you've been planning on at some point, operating on, and it's going to be great? Are you willing to take that very dream and lay it before the Lord and tell him, you can do whatever you want to do with it? I'll be content. I don't even know why I'm teaching this right now. I, I do know why I'm teaching this right now. Are you willing to give him your future? The one that you've laid out carefully. 
You know, the best thing about giving it to God is that God is not in the habit of taking our dreams and crushing them. God is in the habit of being so blown away that his creation would give the very thing that we love so dearly that he finds it to be such a blessing in his heart that nine times out of ten he gives it back and he blesses it in a way that you could never imagine. But I just said something. Nine times out of ten. What about that tenth time? There are times that God does something completely out of the paradigm. Will you let God do that? He is God. And he always reserves the right to do what he wants to do, whether you get it or not. That makes sense? God, you know what I look when I teach things like that? I look for hunger for people who would go, I'll give God anything that he wants right now. I'll lay it all down. I'd, ru I'd run to be the first at the altar to give it to him. So let me just ask you, if I did something crazy like that and I said, first one up here is proof of hunger. Who's hungry? I mean, who's really hungry? Before I use up all my time, I'll just close it. The giving and the taking principle is so real. When we give it to God, it's supernatural. When we take it up, it only becomes natural. Something dead comes alive whenever we throw it down in front of God. Can I just point this out to you? For Moses, listen to this. This is really important. For Moses, when God asked for the staff, he wasn't just asking for a stick that helped Moses walk up hills. Here's what the staff represented to a man who lived during that time. Listen to this. It represented his identity. God asked Moses, will you lay down your identity in front of me? Will you give me who you are. You knew who a person was by the kind of rod that they carried. Have you ever recognized that all jobs come with symbols, yes or no? A doctor has a symbol, a dentist has a symbol, a barber has a symbol, a pastor has a symbol. Do you agree? Shepherds have symbols too, don't they? God asked him, will you lay down who you are? The staff represented his income. You were a wealthy man if you had a lot of sheep or a lot of goats or a lot of livestock. The only reason he carried any kind of a crook like that was because he had a lot that he was caring for. You know what God asked him to lay down? Will you give me your income? Dude, think about it. He didn't ask for a stick. How many of you would give him a stick? That's the easy one, right? But if we switched it right now, how many of you would give your checkbook right now? How many of you would pull your wallet out and lay it down, tell God he can do whatever he wants? How many of you would give your 401k? 
listen to me right now. This is really important. Because we read this story 3,000 years ago. It becomes so sanitized, so sweet. Moses gives a stick. Last but not least, it represented his influence. You used a staff to push, to pull, and to move people. It represented his influence. God said, will you lay down your influence? God doesn't want much, just everything that's in your hand. Can I say this? And I want you to pay attention to it. There's no power in the stick whatsoever. The power was in the surrender of the stick. Do you agree with that? You know, really what the message was about, it was about stewardship and the stewardship of affluence and influence. And we live in an age where we have to manage both affluence and influence. I heard one of the best teachers I ever heard, Rick Warren, teach a very similar message to that issue right there. Here's what Rick Warren said. There are three things that test faithfulness. Three things. They come from Luke chapter 16, 1 through 13, which is the parable of the servant. Here are the three things that test faithfulness. Listen to me. Money tests faithfulness, yes or no. Influence tests faithfulness, yes or no. And honesty tests faithfulness, yes or no. So I end my message and I ask that question of you. Everybody who hears, Pastor Dan pointed out to me, I said, we have nine services going on this weekend. Dan said, John, we have 12 services going on in a weekend. I'm not sure when we went to three more services. I'm so glad you're in charge, Dan. (laughs) I'm so glad you know those things. So I ask all 12 of our services right now, how are you doing with the test of influence and affluence? You want to know what your real influence should be used for? Use your influence to speak for people who don't have any. Use your affluence to do things for the kingdom of God that will result in huge payoffs for you later on. I had a guy write me a letter this week. I had a prophecy. Do you remember me standing up saying recently that I had a word for the Lord? And it was just off the cuff. And I just read it. I didn't know who it was for. And this is what I said. Just to paraphrase. I said, I had, a, I had a word from the Lord. It was almost a vision where 15 or 20 years ago, God came to you and told you he was going to use you. He was going to give you a gift of wealth in order to help in time matters. But where you are and where that promise is are so far away, you've begun to say, how could it ever even happen? And you're giving up on the dream. Here's the word of the Lord to you. Believe, believe, believe. I want to ask you, how are you doing in the realm of affluence and influence? What are you doing with it right now? Is your gift being given fully to God or is it being used for you to become famous? 
What are you doing with your money? Are you using your money for eternal issues and eternal values and eternal purposes? Are you using your money right now for things that are going to go bankrupt? And when this world system and whatever it does goes down, you're not going to have a thing left. What are you doing? Hey, I'm pastor and I get to say these things. And if I don't, who will? And the day I'm afraid to do it, every one of you should pack your bags and leave this church. I'm asking you how you're doing. Is what's in your hand being given to God? Or have you picked it back up? Or have you never let it go? So my challenge to you is right now, we get a choice. Are you going to lay it before the Lord? Are you going to give it to him? Are you going to, let's go to a new place. Let's tell God, everything I have, you can have. Let's go for broke. Let's go for total multiplication. Let's go for, let's, let's do this. Let's sell out 100%. It is so easy to sit here now and think that's what we've done. Let's go one more level. Let's give everything we've got. Do you hear me? Now, I didn't ask you for anything that I, I didn't ask you for your money. Didn't ask you for your time. I didn't ask you to, I didn't. The Holy Spirit will direct this right now. I'm saying, will you let go of everything in your hand? Will you give God everything? Will you give him everything? And that's where I am my message. So the worst, as it comes and it gets ready at all of our campuses, all of our campus pastors, you are free to close your service the way you deem necessary. You are free to move your people the way that you feel it's necessary. Here's what I just want to do at our campus. And I'd like you guys just to stand as I pray this prayer right now. Father, for every man and woman who hears my voice and is challenged to give everything. God, it's a very serious message. It's a very sobering message. That's a sobering message. That's what it is. It's a sobering message. And yet it may be one of the more life-giving messages ever taught for every person who hears my voice right now and says to themselves, I'm in, I'm in, God, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Lord, they may not even fully know what they're saying, but God, they're trusting your grace and your mercy to help them do this. God, whatever is in their hand, whatever you ask for, what they're saying is, God, I'll lay it before you and I won't pick it back up. Father, help them. Help them right now. As a church, that's what we pray for. Help us. God, even in our campaign right now where we're raising money for this building and God, we have all these great ideas. God, we submit that to you. We, we let that easily out of our hands. You can direct us to do whatever you want us to do. This is your church, not our church. And we bless you for the opportunity to serve in it. And we pray that now in the only name under heaven given by which men can be saved. Do you know his name? Jesus. That's right. It's Jesus. Amen. And amen. I don't know. Pause. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening.